0: welcome to emotional sobriety we very uh luckily gratefully have joe c back with us and uh Yay. alan Hey, joe is back <laughs> do you watch the super bowl uh over there uh a lot of canadians do yeah i don't i don't know anything about it i know that the 49ers are playing because uh well you know and that i guess that's supposed to be important to me because i went to college in san francisco so a little bit of hometown pride there but uh I don't know. I mean, this is way more fun to me than uh, watching the Super Bowl. Is just talking to some uh, sober people. But I'm weird like that. You talk like a woman's dream. <laughs> I'm always hoping for that. Yeah. How are you, Joe?
1: Oh, there's that that question again. At, that we do this emotional sobriety thing, and we have to sort of lay it on the line. I am furious and content. Was on a yesterday. Was a day of sort of. AA service. It was an area sort of service day thing. And I was, people from cooperation with the professional community were talking about AI and utilizing AI as a means of, you know, putting public information pieces out. And like, I heard the next generation becoming the stewards of of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that gave me a, a sense of hope Um, sorry about the climate and uh, the, uh, you know, polarizing arguments we've been having for years, but it seems like we're in good hands there, so I feel good about that, and today I feel curious and content.
0: That sounds good, the two C's, it's very like alliterative. C-C and A. &A. How about you, Alan? How's, uh, how you feeling, man?
2: Well, I'm four days out of surgery now, is that right? Yeah, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I am feeling exceptionally well, given the extensive surgery that took place in the hip conversion and then hip replacement. They took quite a pin out of my leg that he had to bore out with a 14 millimeter hollow drill. And then um, really the the surgeon, Dr. Vikorin was outstanding. I mean, he saw that he had to use a special prosthesis that went further into my leg. And that was reinforced at the top because of all the bone he had to cut away. So I think I'm in really good shape. I've been, I did my exercises at least. I was, you know, they asked me to try to do two sets. I couldn't manage that, but I did one set very well. And I got up and I moved around all day long, maybe a little too much. I had some swelling last night, but I put back on my compression sleeve today. And and I've been active pretty much most of the day. And so I'm doing well. I did, I did lay off of uh, my pain regime and I tried to extend the time with the Oxy and that was a bit of a mistake. I waited nine hours instead of four, Um, but I won't do that again. At the most I'll probably wait, it's five or six. I've got to pay attention to the number. They said, if my pain number goes above five is when I need to think about using it. And I'm only using five milligrams. So that's good news too. I'm getting a lot of relief because they've got that it's a multimodal approach to pain. I'm on a steroid. I'm on a thousand milligrams of of Advil three times a day. I'm on multi meloxicam. Um, I'm on uh, an aspirin. I mean, he's really they've really got a well spread out kind of pain regimen. And Neoxi is on top of uh, six hundred milligrams of gabapentin a day.
1: So Would you like I've... fries with that, sir? What's that? Would you I'll like have, fries with that? And some cheese on top of my burger. <laughs> no, some oxy
2: on my burger. No, that's bad. Oh. oh, that was bad. But but I'm feeling excited, you guys. You can hear it in my voice. Yeah. This pain is different than the pain I've been experiencing. The pain I experienced, there was no, no end to. It was chronic pain. And I could feel the difference when people talk about it. And I think you might've even brought it up in one of our shows, Joe, and maybe Tom did last time. The difference between experiencing something that feels permanent versus feeling temporary. Right. And when it's permanent, for me, it's a lot more of a challenge to deal with because I don't see any hope. I don't see things getting better. It's just the way it's going to be and probably worse which is a whole different mindset than going through a pain that is leading me towards some kind of a better outcome. And right now I feel the latter. For the last seven weeks, man, I've been fighting some depression with the chronic pain and I can really, my heart goes out to those of you that have no relief from chronic pain. because it is a challenge to to stay the course and to try to carve out a decent life with that kind of experience. But you know, I, I am feeling excited and hopeful. I'm I'm gonna try to pull back on the reins because if I'm feeling great today, I'm gonna do even more tomorrow to feel better, and that'll probably be a mistake. But I do start my physical therapy tomorrow. That's good news, and um, so things are. I'm I'm in excited as you guys can tell, and I'm so looking forward to what we've been doing here. Um, but but before I get into that, Patrick, how are
1: you? Yeah. How it's your bio psycho self, Patrick.
0: Can I just ask very briefly, Alan, when you were in chronic pain mode, is there anything you were able to do to uh, achieve momentary respite from just the four-corner assault you were experiencing? I think the big key to it was getting a lot of support
2: from you guys, accepting that this is the way it is, hoping it wasn't going to be permanent, but not knowing if it would or wouldn't, that was going to be to be determined by the surgery. Yeah. Um, so, but I did hold out a little hope on that. I got a lot of reassurance from people that have been here before. It's kind of like recovery. You know, I heard people say, hey, I've done that. And I was sorry, I didn't do it sooner. And I, that was the word I got over and over and over again. So while it wasn't my experience yet, The fact that other people had that experience was meaningful for me. I'd say, you know, like Herb Kagan talks about lighting the path with a lantern. And it was kind of holding up that lantern for me and seeing some territory and a path that I couldn't see from where I was at with the chronic pain I was experiencing. So I would say it's a combination of those. And look. All the work we've been doing on this emotional sobriety man has gotten integrated. I could not have have survived this last year with the divorce and other experiences I had in my marriage without it. And so I just see this as another step on that journey of learning how to grow up and
0: deal with life on life's terms. That's beautiful, Alan. Um briefly I have been continuing with the uh Going through the steps with a sponsee. It's my very first time doing that. And when I talked to my sponsor about it, you know, he reminded me that like it's when you start using whatever the program is, when you start using it um on somebody besides yourself and kind of experiencing it through that new yeah, set of I, eyes. I know what you talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it really starts to kind of like get to a deeper level. And I have been experiencing some of that and really hoping I'm not messing things up. But, um, I've been enjoying that and, and getting a lot of fulfillment out of it. Um, dating somebody new and I got the most amazing gift from her yesterday. She sent me an exercise bike for my, uh, knee and quads yeah. are so emaciated from, uh, you know, the injury and stuff. And, uh, I kind of like offhandedly mentioned, like I was trying to decide whether I should do a gym membership, uh, to have access to machines like that, or if I should, uh, over the couple hundred dollars to get it and she just went ahead and got it and uh and you know it's funny because she was priming me for this gift i would be getting and i thought it would be just some little bobble or just you know something funny you know but uh instead it was like this thing i'm going to set it up later this afternoon and kind of like really because i've been doing exercises i can relate to what you're going through alan because like you know we we recover based on in many ways based on like how proactive we're being in the time between the appointments and like I'm trying to get some of that physical discipline back. And uh I'd like to be the first person in history who actually like used the machine that came to the door and uh <laughs> and then you know st- stuck with it for a bit. So uh, I bed, right or put
2: it in the garage. That's where those end
0: up. Yeah, this'll be the this'll be the one. So uh yeah, so that's me. But uh I'm just so happy to be here and uh happy to be proceeding through the uh, emotional sobriety grapevine with you guys.
1: Many listeners would be able to tell us that. Exercise machines make great clothing horses. <laughs> <laughs> they do.
2: <laughs> That's true, Joe. I've used some of myself that way. As we talked about before, the January issue of the Grapevine was devoted entirely to emotional sobriety, which I'm very excited about. To me, it's a it's a real reflection that the spirit of the times are changing and that we're ready to start integrating emotional sobriety into our mainstream discussion of recovery. And unfortunately, but probably for a lot of different reasons, good reasons, it hasn't taken place until recently. You know, Bill Wilson started to talk about these ideas back in the late 40s and in the 50s, he incorporated many of them into the 12 and 12. And then in 1953, he wrote this remarkable letter somebody in California, which to me was a wonderful synthesis of his understanding of emotional sobriety and in detailed in many ways, a lot of the core concepts. And so what we're doing here is, is we're going through these articles and listening to what the people that have submitted their articles have said about it. And to, with an eye on, can we sweeten the pot and help deepen the understanding and broaden the understanding of emotional sobriety in our recovery.
0: So with that being said, let's take it away, Pat. From January 2024, the Emotional Sobriety Special Section, Doing Just Fine by Steve S. from Manhasset, New York. As the battering rams pummel his little slice of the world, he'll be okay today because he's sober. As I'm writing this, our electric meter is on the backyard table and the power is off in the house. The circuit breaker panel in the basement has been pulled off, and we are waiting for the job to be finished. A short circuit yesterday was a sign of some real serious trouble, possibly even a future fire. I'm in my very own and deeply personal financial crisis. I'm hoping that sitting here and writing this down will save my life and keep me sober today. And possibly, dear reader, it may help others who feel just like I do right now.
1: I'm sitting at our wrought iron backyard table. Watching uh, the men work on our electric line. My head is down with a hat covered, uh, uh, co- covering the emotionless expression on my face. There's a current edition of Grapevine sitting here uh, next to my omnipresent giraffe uh, of a strong brewed coffee. The magazine is coverside down and my sun-shielded eyes focused on the serenity prayer. My spirit is meditating and trying, really trying to absorb the words, especially the part about accepting the things I cannot change. You see, the
2: problem is money. This kind of electrical work is expensive, and when money is tight, things are not all right. My anxiety and resentment are building. I can feel it, I start thinking. Why did I become physically disabled and knocked out of two professions at an early age? Why did alcoholism invade my life with mental, emotional, and even spiritual deficits? I feel so darn helpless right now. There's a passage in a big book about alcoholics being good earning power, being well off, etc., and it irks me don't our nightstep promises say fear of economic insecurity will leave us? Then why is my well-founded fear still with me? I know the answer. It's because I, parentheses, we are, close parentheses,
0: human. Just because the steps are in my life and I'm living in the AA program of recovery doesn't mean the arrows and battering rams pummeling my little slice of the world can't hurt me and that I can't feel them. The pain is here now and it's real. It's not just the economic crisis, but family issues too. When it rains, it pours. My old ways of coping, 24 years ago as a matter of fact, would have had me rocketing off to oblivion. I would start with just one drink to calm me down and soothe my anger, but one drink was impossible. I'm
1: doing the best I can. To be here for my family, the COVID pandemic hit us pretty hard financially. I can't see going on a nice family vacation in the foreseeable future. I can't see renovating the house like my wife and I would like uh, or piling up a nice retirement income either. Since I got sober, my wife and I helped the kids. We have two sons and a daughter who made it through both college and professional schools with honors. Isn't that what you're supposed to do when you're sober? Take care of family? AA teaches us to live in the solution. This article won't be helpful to read if I just woe is me through it. I was taught that if I am to do, if all I'm to do is moan about uh, the past, which no matter uh, how much I try, I cannot change, and not live in today, then I won't have much of tomorrow.
0: So as I sit here and watch this new costly power system go up, I realize a couple of things. First, my wife assures me that we won't have to live on the street after this work is over. And as far as we know today, we both have our health, and the kids are doing just fine. Our cat Walter seems pretty content too. Also, I have a feeling that even though the forecast says rain tomorrow, the sun will still rise. But what do I do about the very real pain and the
1: fear I have of my financial unknown? Well... I'm trying my best to look for a job, something in my chosen field. I speak freely with my friends and my sponsor about it, so I'm being proactive. Just a moment ago, a text flashed on my phone. It's a friend of mine, another AA. He's having troubles, really bad ones. One that make mine look like blessings. Even worse, he drank two days ago. I think I'll call him and meet them for a virtual meeting, then spend some time chatting and maybe even do some step work with them. Maybe I'll invite a couple of the other guys and we'll have a small AA meeting together. Now that's not so bad, is it?
2: My good friend Howard just came in and delivered me a get well package. Howard's saying hi to Howard's uh, a regular on our Thursday night meeting and it's been- Welcome to the show. Thanks. Been, good to see you guys has been just absorbing this stuff. I'm going to pass this article on to him so he can read it over real quick as we start our discussion of it. Okay. And maybe he wants to contribute something as we're talking here. Awesome. First of all, Howard, thanks for coming by. I appreciate your support. I've been getting so much support from all you guys in that fellowship and it means the world to me. This is what our fellowship is about. Everyone needs a Howard. Everybody needs a Howard. You guys remember when I was saying I was, I that the girls were going away with their mom on Christmas right because of our divorce and that I wrote Cece this wonderful letter that I had to go up north and that's why I couldn't be with him well look at what Howard makes for me he's got me uh, talking I, to one of the up in there so I'll be able to put it in Cece's room in my room as a reminder what yeah. a sweetheart man thanks Mike that it means a lot, lot to me
3: yeah I uh I went to uh, like Fiverr and, and contracted somebody to, to draw a caricature as I got I gotta do something, it's just the neatest little story.
2: So let me tell you my my first response to this. I mean, see, this is one of the things that I think is so important that we, how can I say it? That we balanced our expectations of what recovery means. You know, he was talking about the fact that he hears in meetings, boy, all these things are going to be returned to you. You're going to be financially secure. You know, life is just going to work out with sobriety. Things are going to fall into place, right? Because you're not drinking anymore. Well, that's true some of the time, but to expect that to be the baseline is the problem that we've had all along. You see, Basing our well-being on, how, on what is happening, the outcome of our experience, has always created us great trouble in our lives. It always has, because I want things to be the way I want them to be, thinking I need them to be that way to be okay. And see, and that's the struggle that people have. They go to a meeting, and if they don't start experiencing that, they think, you know what? Something's wrong with my recovery. I'm not working the program right. This guy is working the program as good, if not better, than anybody else in the program because he's dealing with reality as it is. We've defined emotional sobriety as an honest and appropriate relationship to reality. Unfortunately, he's going through some tough times. It's a series of very unfortunate circumstances that this man and his family are facing. And my heart goes out to him, look, I've been there. You guys have known that. You know, I've had those experiences myself this last year. And it's not that this is all gonna work out for us, it's how we're gonna work it out when it's not working out. I'll say that again, it's not like recovery is always gonna work out the way that we would like it to or the way we want it to. But if we really embrace the principles here, we can work it out regardless of what's happening to us, regardless of success or failure, regardless of pain or suffering regardless of any of these things that we thought we needed to be okay. And so I just think there's such a wonderful message that he's sending everybody in this article. Uh, I'm really excited to read it and share it with everybody and to share
1: some of my thoughts about it. What do you think about it, Joe, and then Howard and Patrick? Yeah, um, you know, we were talking early earlier before uh, the tape was rolling Um, For those of you too young to know what tape is, it's not important now, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, before we started recording about how this podcast is uh, real-time emotional sobriety, where addiction is biopsychosocial, and the solution, you have to look after your physical health, your Emotional, mental health, and your the world around you, the people you engage with, repair those relationships, and you need the relationship of others to heal. And this guy is, uh, and and so your show is happening while all those things are happening in your lives. Problems with physical health, emotional health, uh, relationship health, uh, and the the show goes on. It doesn't. It isn't paused for that because that's what the show is friggin' about. And this guy is another perfect example of that. In live time, he's gone, here's what I'm going through now. Not, here's what I went through when I was new, and here's how I solved it, and if you're new, blah, blah, blah. He's talking about his fear. He's not trying to shun it. He's just owning it. He's just, you know, making room for it. He's talking about what he cares about. He's talking about his disappointment. He's talking about his... Uh, grievances, right? A- and he's not trying to fix it. He's just trying to live through it. He's showing up for himself. And I think it's it's beautiful. And the fact that he put pen to paper and shared it with us, uh, I think something in him knew that's how this whole thing works.
2: Well, it reminds me of the saying I've used a lot, Joe. Emotional sobriety is about not letting the experience you have claim you. It's about claiming experience. And that takes, that's the easy thing to say, but it is not an easy thing to do, man, when when that anxiety is rumbling in our gut, or when you know, my, you know when my heart is broken, when my expectations have been shattered on reality, you know, those things are very, very difficult. But it is the key here, is finding a way to claim that experience and move that emotional center of gravity back into myself instead of externalizing
0: that locus of control to everyone and everything and every circumstance. Well living in the solution, as he describes, um he's looking for jobs, he's doing the best he can to kind of like um marshal what resources he has to overcome some of the financial pressures that he's under and the consequent family pressures. But I just thought it was very moving that the story ends with um, him getting a call from somebody who's suffering from addiction and him setting up a meeting to sit with some other people rather than trying to skip over the moment that he's in and to not feel or to not confront these uh, pressures. He's doing a meeting and he's going to sit with some other addicts and he's going to be in that moment and really try and uh, bring the best he can of himself uh out of it and through it. And I thought that was, uh, very inspirational. And I mean, I have the, uh, I'm very aware there are going to be moments in my life. There's going to be passages that are really dark. And I, um, I want to stay recovering and stay sober through those moments. And it's going to be, each one is going to be a test, but it was so illuminating when we started working together, Alan, when you told me that little secret about how, when things are going wrong, that doesn't mean my recovery is going wrong. The other thing you just reminded me of, you see, what an incredible example
2: he's been about being like Joe said, this show has been showing up just like he showed up. And sometimes that's the best we can do just get there, just show up. But I will bet, I don't know this, but i I'm my imagination says he's going to share his experience. And for others to see that you can stay sober regardless of what's happening is an incredibly powerful message, right? The, the, you know, it's easy to stay sober if everything's going your way and your your life is ascending and the light is shining around you and you feel spirituality everywhere. But the real challenge comes, and this is what, what a dear friend of mine, Tom Catton, who just recently passed away said, the real challenge in recovery it's to not drink or use when you would rather be drinking and using that's when that's when the, the rubber hits the road man is what we do at that point where our first natural inclination would be let me pick up that drink let me pick up that drug let me act out in some way to soothe this pain only making things worse and that's what it would have done for this guy he throws alcohol on top of this problem it's like taking a bucket of gasoline and throwing gasoline on top of a fire thinking you're going to put it out
3: as i was reading the story it was it was kind of my story so um in 2005 um i declared you know federal bankruptcy um i was 18 years sober 17 18 years sober probably making eighty thousand dollars a year um, and and thousands and thousands of dollars in debt uh and just like this guy saying, you know, what about this promise? What, you know, when does fear of economic, you know, people and economic security leave us? When does it leave us? You know? And I found out that it's when I stopped inviting insecurity in. And so yes. when I was, you know, making 80,000 a year spending 90 or a hundred thousand, you could only be insecure. That That was the setup. But I blamed the bank because the interest was too high. I blamed a boss because he didn't give me a raise. I you know, I blamed everybody else for my financial difficulties. And what I found out is because I thought finances were mathematical and they are, right? You need like sixth grade math to do your checkbook, but it's emotional and spiritual as well. And and I and I do talk about this because when it happened, I didn't talk about it. And the first time I mentioned it in a meeting, you know. It was almost by accident and someone said, Hey, thanks for talking about it. Cause I'm going through the same thing at you know, 22 years. old." and you know, there's not, and, and what I, what, what came, so I do a in financial inventory, essentially, you know, emotional, spiritual, everything that we do with anything else. And I was, I was behaving like a child with money, right? I want what I want. I spent whatever I want. I didn't care. Right. I'll pay it later. Right. That's the American way. Right? The American dream, or now nightmare. You know, yeah,
1: dream becomes so, a nightmare.
3: Yeah, exactly. And so, so the emotional pieces. So now that I, you know, I don't, I don't have any debt, and I have money in the bank. I had to emergency, I had to rebuild from age forty to age fifty six, so I could have some financial solvency. But it took a long time, and it took me saying, you know, I'm not going to spend more than I make anymore. Just like I'm not going to drink anymore. I had to set a new bottom line. Right. And now, now that the spiritual piece, I didn't understand though, that was the most significant one. And I I was, I was getting set up with a financial counselor to walk me through some of this stuff. And he said, okay, first thing I want you to do is I want you to make a budget for next month. So I made this budget, you know, food, shelter, water, you know, cable bill, um, and again, this is like 2007, So there were no smartphones, there were different things. Uh, and he said, I, I noticed you don't have any, you don't have giving on your budget. I said, Well, as you can see, I really can't afford it. And he said, Oh, I see. Because okay, I put it at the bottom giving. Like I, I said, okay, but we're giving ten dollars. He said, Okay. So then he takes the whole budget and he takes the whole piece of paper and he turns it upside down. He says, Well, what if we give first? That's the first thing we do give to God because he was a spiritual guy as well. Now, now maybe you can't afford that phone, that cable bill. Now, what can't you afford, you know? And so I, would, in bankruptcy, I gave 10% of my income all, all the way through getting out of bankruptcy and I always had enough money. I don't think that's an accident because divine, because I just, I just trusted the guy and then he went on to further, I said, I said, how, how does this work? How come that works? And he said that he says, the mistake you've been making is you think it's your running. You. It was given to you, just like your body and your spirit and everything you have was, was given to you by God. And as your heavenly father, just like your a regular father, if you don't take care of the car, then you're not getting the car anymore. You don't take care of your income, you're not getting more. So, you know, again, and 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 when COVID hit. You know my wife and i were okay we we had we we planned for an unfortunate event whatever it was lost our job now we didn't lose our jobs but well, things changed but we were okay we, we made it to, to today um but it was because we were excellent adults you know the emotional maturity the emotional sobriety i wasn't you know buying stuff i didn't need i wasn't you know uh, places i couldn't afford. it was it was really a reset and and that meant sacrifice as well so um
2: well the other thing
3: you're, you're what you're sharing by the way which is tremendous and i'm so glad
2: amazing god shot that you pop in at this now you're joining us thank you uh, <laughs> but what what is really also so um salient from your discussion is that it's an acceptance of our limitations And see, for me, any limitation seemed to be imprisoning to me. I never thought how accepting my limitation could be freeing. It always felt like I was being put in a straitjacket, right? And that people were taking things away from me. And see, that's one of the wonderful flips, right, turnarounds that happens in recovery is something that feels like you're going to lose something actually gives you more than you're losing. And see, that's what I think is so wonderful about what you're sharing. It got flipped around. And then all of a sudden, you didn't see your limitation as a limitation. You saw it as a door to more freedom, more financial freedom, more freedom from insecurity, more freedom from your anxiety. And see, boy, listen to that lesson, folks. It's available to each and every one of us if we can start accepting our limitations as, as they are, instead of seeing them as a restriction, you're going to experience a new freedom.
0: And I wanted to point out too, or, or maybe ask Howard, um, seconding what Alan said that I, you know, thought that was just so moving and, uh, beautiful. And we really lucked out having you on today, but, um, What would the alternative have been like I I put that to you because I think your choice was pragmatic, in addition to all those other things you mentioned, because like the alternative would have been right to kind of place these demands on the banks (laughs) on these kind of inflexible. uh, You know uh, dimensions of uh, the situation where instead you kind of went internal and you figured out Okay, well, how can I accommodate you know this. situation that I'm in and it seems to have really like helped. Is that like a correct assessment you think? Yeah. So, I mean, at the time of my filing, Mm
3: -hmm. uh, the the, the way the law is, I mean, this isn't a law seminar, but, uh, there were two choices. You got chapter 11, where you don't have to pay it back and chapter 13, where they decide what you pay back. Um, I qualified for 11, but I, I I talked to my sponsor. I said, I I have to pay people back. I I would, I, I would feel like. I'm not making my complete amends because, for years, I thought they wanted my money. And again, turned around like, no, they want their money. I borrowed (laughs) it. I got to pay it back. Even though it was a credit card company, it wasn't like a guy you know I knew from a bar and I owed him money. No, I I took your money. So I decided to to pay it back, and it obviously took longer. um, But what Alan said about the freedom. Cause what happened was, and this is going to be a tough part to read. Cause I, I, when we got out of debt, I no longer needed to make 80 or $90,000 to pay off all the money. Okay. So I took it and I could now have a job that I really wanted. And so I, I went from being wow. a scientist to being a school teacher, which is wow, this but. Because I didn't owe everybody all this money anymore. I had the freedom to take any job. I wanted to. There it is. And I've been there for 15 years now. The longest job I ever had. Now looking at the outcome, it's like, I don't know. Maybe there was no alternative. This was it. Yeah. This was the push I needed.
0: And your recovery actually did help you with, I mean, it. It was central to you overcoming your financial insecurity. And cause I hear that from some people, right? It's like, well, I go, so I get sober, I go to the meetings. Right. But it's not going to help me conjure a living or all these other life sustaining things, but it actually, if you look deeply, there is a connection there. Your sobriety becomes effective when you do
1: period. And one of the emotional sobriety, um, uh, mm-hmm. mantras is don't take it personally. Steve in the story thought, well, other people must be going through difficult times too. And shit happens. This just happens in life. And Howard, in, in your story, you let go of that blame the bank, blame the economy, blame the boss, blame the job. Uh, and, you know, you just sort of, yeah, accepting life on life's terms. Uh, I remember when I thought... Sobriety was um, a, a limit. It was going to limit my life. Sobriety was going to reduce the value and pleasure in my life. And that's because I didn't understand sobriety. I only understood drinking and drugs.
2: I felt that too, like I was losing something rather than gaining something. Yeah. And so many things that I thought I was losing. I'll never forget what Dr. Kempler said to me one time. You know, well, that would be a good thing to lose. <laughs> but I never <laughs> Of losing is a good thing right it's like I had to have to be okay yeah. not lose something there is no no happiness in losing it was having that was going to make me happy and oh man did I have it backwards
3: yeah probably the, the old saying you can't lose something you never really had that's yeah true. you didn't have freedom and happiness and all the things that we it had wasn't it wasn't yeah. was yeah. The, the, the drug-induced illusion yeah, it yeah, really was a quick hit yeah that, that's that's what you need
2: well, great discussion, you guys. Scott, did this turn out wonderful or
3: not? I I took it. It, it really was did. a pleasant surprise for me as a guy who's done some podcast editing, did the doorbell and all that. Sorry, but hopefully, Alan has a separate channel that you can edit it out, But
0: Oh yeah, no, uh, we'll uh, we'll make hay out of it. And uh, I, do you have a podcast? I thought I would ask if you had a plug you wanted to do.
3: Uh, I, I do, it's been a while since I, I, I um, have been active on it, but yeah, it's it's called Seasons of Sobriety. And we're going uh, to do uh, one Yeah, I'm going to work with Alan to, you know, but you guys know how hard he is, it's like, you know, pinning <laughs> down a fart in a windstorm. Um, so, <laughs> it is
2: possible sometimes.
3: Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, fart in
2: a windstorm. Called, I've never been called a fart in a windstorm in my whole life. That's I'm not going to take that personally. Welcome to our Relationship.
1: Tinge <laughs> life. Tinge your myth.
2: Cultivate your narrative with whomever you are.